Welcome, listener, to the Wiggly podcast. If you're a regular listener, you'll know all about the show. But if you're new, you can expect a weekly half hour of country life to wiggle its way into your heart and your mind. Richard, the slogan for this week is spontaneous, spunky spiel, sowing the seeds of inspirational gardening. Good Lord. (laughs) What's on this week? (laughs) I want to ask you a bit about owls. Right. Monty is popping in in a little while um, with his worm cast, and he's also here to tell us about his TV Mega appearance. Mega stardom, yeah. yeah. Heather features in Grow Your Own, so we'll, we'll speak about that. And Phil has got a rant today, right. so oh, we'll have right. to work okay. with a Phil rant. Phil rant. Ooh, tedious. And <laughs> um, we've got Anne coming to talk about the bouquets and yep. the flowers and Lovely. her life on the farm. Great. Um, so first of all, hello, Mont. First day of the school holidays for you? Yeah. Yippee. Well, half a day. Half a day. So, Monty, you've come to tell us today about your mega stardom, haven't you? Yeah. Week before last, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So what show were you on? Paul O'Reilly show. You were, yeah. How did you end up being invited Um, to go down there? I don't completely know, but my mum, I was just going upstairs and my mum said, do you want to be on TV? I was like, uh, okay. (laughs) So you said, yeah, and uh, did you know what you were going to be talking about at that time? Not really. What did you talk about? Worms. That's right, you were talking about a can of worms. I nearly scared Paul off. (laughs) (laughs) Was he a nice bloke? Yeah. What kind of things did he ask you? He asked me what trees are, what if you can put any other sorts of worms and what worms they are in there. Yeah, yeah. So all sorts of interesting stuff, really. All the kind of things that you know about, mm-hmm. natural history things. And you know, I, I watched the I watched the show, and they uh, they turned on that wormery, didn't they? The tap yeah. on the wormery, <laughs> and there was like mountains and gallons of liquid <laughs> gushing forth. I I I went over, and there wasn't a tap. I was like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> so do, do you think they filled it up beforehand, or is that the real worm juice? That was just. Well, I think so. <laughs> there were worm juice, but um, it wasn't. it's um, Koya Block. Yeah, it wasn't. It was Koya Block, wasn't it? Yeah. And they, they totally cheated. Oh. <laughs> well, didn't they? Yeah. Mark <laughs> <laughs> doesn't want to give away his he secrets. He, he doesn't want to give his yeah, tra- like... secrets of the trade. <laughs> no, he's a celebrity. <sighs> no, so you had a co-celebrity as well, didn't you, on the yeah. show? Olivia. What was she like? Was she nice? Yeah. I suppose it was all... We were going to do our cue cards, but we were running out of time, so we didn't. Uh, Oh, yeah, because it's live, isn't it, that Royal Grady show? Do you want a chance to do them now, then? Okay. Go on, then. Each tonne of recycled paper can save 17 trees. Right. A single recycled aluminium can saves enough energy to run a TV up for three hours. Wow, uh, that's impressive. Okay, so you had a good time anyway. Yeah. Do you think you'll be uh, happy to go on television again? Yeah. Well, we'll all look forward to your next appearance then, old chum. Hopefully you'll get to say something else besides yep <laughs> at that point. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Monty. Cheers, Mont. We've had lots of customers asking us about owls right. uh, this winter, Rich. Right. And my brother, Billy, yeah. has just got himself an owl tube. Right. And he wants to know where to put it up to have the best chance of having a tawny owl roost or nest in it. Right, well, that's interesting. Uh, the, the, the most important thing with a tube is to strap it probably to underneath a branch that's kind of horizontal 
It needs to be pointing north, northeast, so away from the prevailing conditions. There's a hole in the top of the tube, isn't there? There is. Those tubes are, in effect, just tubes, aren't they? So already what you're doing is you're trying to incorporate a hole um, where, a, where a bird can nest in the tree. Yeah, so, so a hollow tree trunk. That's right. So you're most of those have gone. In most, that's right. So in, in, in many respects, you're just providing your, an artificial hollow tree trunk. Because yeah. owls, they do, they do like to nest in dry hollows in trees. Mm. There's a, interesting enough where I live. I I drove up to the pub on Saturday night, mm. and uh, I had a couple of friends in the back of the car, and I said, "Well, I'm going to slow down, guys, in this tree." And there's often a barn owl. You often see a barn owl in this tree. Sure enough, there he was. And we sat, and he just could just see his chest glowing white, you know, in the in the edge of the lights. Yeah. But in the summertime, I can drive past there, and he'll sit right on the entrance to this tree, and uh, it's a pollarded willow, you know, and it's and it's obviously kind of rotten in the middle. Yeah. Um, but. That's where that guy lives, and he's been there a couple of years now. So that's it, that's all. But that's very, very important for, for owls, which again is why it's quite important to leave dead trees mm. if, if you can, rather than cut them down. You know, mm. tidiness in the countryside is often quite problematic for wildlife. Mm. Other owls, like little owls. Mm. Um, we keep hearing them shrieking here. Yeah, well, you've got. Can you do your impression of the little the, owl for me? Uh, it's sort of a little owl. <laughs> a little owl sort of is a continuous. Kind of shriek, 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 and they they used to get called scritch owls. You know, the local dialogue around here was a scritch owl. Yeah. And uh, in fact, my my godfather still calls them calls little owls scritch they owls. They go on, don't they? They do. They go on for quite a long time, and they, you'll also hear them in the daytime. Little owls are quite, you know, they, mm. they're often they're often working in the day. They like worms and beetles and things like that, mm. so they're often about in the daytime. The tawnies tawnies and barn owls are, are quite much more nocturnal, mm. especially tawny owls. You tend to hear them just as getting dark. And then you know throughout the night, mm. and again towards the end of the year, you'll hen- you'll tend to hear tawny owls when the young have come out of their nests because they're you know really kind of talking amongst one another and, mm. and obviously trying to get their parents to encourage their parents to feed them, and uh, and then you know that that it, it does tend to be that the adults are a lot more vocal mm. in the autumn and uh, and winter time. The the place that Billy wants to put his owl tube up is away from all roads so it's, right. it's near to our cutting patch actually right, right. Um, but it's by a pond yeah is that a good thing or yeah, i don't see why not it's interesting you know, i often think that the ideal situation for an owl nest box is well away from a road yeah uh, and re- and it's often advised for barn owls that they won't nest within three miles of a road i've read that but it's not quite true, not you true. know, because that tree I was talking about, uh, yeah. that's 20 yards away from a, from a, it's only a small one-track road, but it's small, it's 20 yeah. yards away from a country lane. I've seen tawny owl nest boxes within 50 yards of a busy main road, mm. uh, admittedly in a wooded area, mm. but within 50 yards of it, and they are populated with, with tawnies. They obviously they've, they've haven't got read chicks that out. piece of news. That that's right, that's right. Again, you see, it's, you know, you, you can, it's very difficult to state absolutes in nature. Yeah. These, uh, these animals, if they find a suitable habitat that they consider to be right, then they'll, they'll mm. colonise it. Yeah. Time to take advantage of the Harry Potter high profile for owls and yeah, put right. your nest box up there. That's right. Can't harm. I mean, there tends to be lots of small mammal life in various places. Banks can be full of uh, voles, for instance. Mm. But if you haven't got the habitat around for the owls, then the owls won't be there. But if you put the habitat there, you'll get the owls and there's the food source there. Mm. So, you know, it, it completes the equation. Yeah. And time to put the box up? Well, any time, put, suppose, Yeah, any time. Any time. If you want, generally, again, I'm kind of generalising, but if you want the bird to nest in there in, in the spring, owls will probably be looking to nest kind of April, May, June, then really you need to put the nest box up right now, you know, so that they can Crazy get used prezzy. to being there.
ideal Christmas present. There we yeah. are. Thank yeah. you, Richard. No problem. Heather's just popped out to fetch Phil, so I'm just looking in a, a magazine called Grow Your Own. Now we do a feature in here, a questions and answers feature, as a monthly kind of uh, contribution to this magazine. It's under Organic Experts. Uh, Heather is answering, answering a question from someone who's asking uh, whether or not worms will help to improve their compost because they'd like to um, have a much nicer consistency compost to dig into the garden. So um, Heather's answered by saying that worms are a useful addition to virtually any compost heap. They reduce the volume of waste dramatically while aerating the heap. And of course she's, she's absolutely right. It's interesting, interesting magazine actually this. And uh, next month's question, we, uh, Heather's going to answer one about calcified seaweed and using that as a, as a soil improver. There are um, lots of different sort of implications of using calcified seaweed, so it'll be interesting to see what she comes up with. OK, and now they're back. Now then, Rich. Yeah. Love a duck. Here is Philip. Excellent. <laughs> Hi, you both. All right? Yeah, very good. good. All the better for seeing you. <laughs> Thank you very much. Good to see you too, Richard. Cheers. Thanks for that. Now, Amazing let's cut all this <laughs> wish-wash, because this morning, Phil... There was something on the telly that made you mad. <laughs> there was three different opinions which didn't suit Phil. Because right. his was missing. Uh, I see. So could we have this rant? Well, I suppose it's a bit of a rant. But the other day we were talking about TB in cattle yeah, and the relationship right. to badgers. Yeah. And today the government are publishing the report of their trials on slaughtering badgers or not slaughtering them right. and the effect it's had on TB. And on the telly this morning we had the news sort of preempting this and we had the badger protection group who were basically saying that the farmers should pay for everything and it was the cattle's fault. Just a minute, come in toast, sit. <laughs> Thank you. Good and dog. then on the other side of the argument we had a farmer who very sadly had had his entire herd slaughtered right. a fortnight ago so he was none too happy with the prospect of any of it no. and we had the scientist from Reading University who was sort of basically asked the question what do you think the report that hasn't been published yet is going to say and to cut yeah. a long story short there was no mention of what I think is a constructive solution to it i.e. you know there's no point in slaughtering anything TB harms both cattle and badgers yeah. and they missed the point in my view and they were, they were just talking about from the one side the farmers should pay and slaughter their cattle and test them more often. And from the other side, there's some evidence to show that slaughtering badgers increases the incidence of TB in cattle in those areas, presumably because of the stress and the fact that TB-infested badgers come into the population gap. And yeah. I just felt they hadn't addressed the problem and they weren't likely to at that rate. No. And there is a vaccine. Well, the, the use of what we know as a BCG vaccine has possible... Oh, I remember that. The jab in the top of your arm. That's the one. Yeah. yeah remember right. at school? Yeah, yeah. Well, it works well in humans, and it works moderately in cattle and possibly badgers. But it seems to me that that's much a more sensible way of going on rather that's, than slaughtering either right. cattle or badgers. And whether the farmer pays or the public pays, it's an expensive way to get rid of money pointlessly, I think. Yeah. Oh, he's a political animal, isn't he? <laughs> he's right, isn't he? You know, he's right. Yeah, he's, he's probably good, right. He's got a good sense of thought, you know. It's sustainable development, Phil's looking at. That's, that's the thing. What's sustainable? What's, what's going to continue? What's going to make a real difference? Absolutely. So if you want to um, argue your case with Phil, you can email him at p 
pwd at lowerblakemere.co.uk. That's and, the one. And uh, if you want to support Phil, do the same thing. Yeah. And we'll see where we go with it. So TB aside, you've uh, <laughs> you've had some more adventures this week, haven't you? We have, yes. We we've, we've both been on a course. Yes. And we didn't right. fall out during it. <laughs> That's a, so that's one. So that's one good thing. That was one good outcome of the two two days. Was he, were you inspired by the course? Well, basically, it was a two day course run by Leaf, who mm. are organisation linking environment and agriculture, or linking environment and farming, strictly speaking. Right. And they've got a DEFRA sponsored scheme going, where us farmers go on a media and facilitation course. Yep. so that we can run farm walks and meetings that are actually enjoyable and informative for those who come to them. Brilliant. Excellent. And so that's what we were doing. Some that's of the thinking. people on the course were inspiring in their, in their own right. Yeah. There was Charlotte, who is raising £800,000 to buy a community farm, Ford Hall Farm. Right. Um, there was John, who's been interested in wildflowers since he was in shorts at school up on a, some mountain or other. Derbyshire yeah. Peak yeah. he yeah. lived on the top of somewhere. Yeah yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There was Tim Downs, who writes a column in the Farmer's Weekly. Right. There right. was Lord Plum's son, John, who uh, was interested in mentoring. Right. And so there was this whole range of really interesting people on the course. Yeah. And the course was run, the first day was run by Susie Emmett, who is a BBC a World Service journalist and one of the, uh, from our correspondence right. people. Right, right. Um, so it was, it was quality. Good. Well, it must have been quality because I kind of, I was expecting for you to say, God, it was crap, Rich. <laughs> <laughs> But so I was quite taken aback <laughs> when he said, "Oh, it's really, really good." I had a great time and learned loads of stuff. So, so I think for you to say that, it must have been very good. It was wonderful, yeah. and we will tell you all about it at some future date. Right. Just to say that we had to do our practice talk at the end of the course, and Phil did his on. Well, I was supposed to be doing it on a farm walk, but I, I saw the error of my ways, and my next attempt will be better. Right, right. He, he did his on something like agriculture through the ages including subsidies and <laughs> such like <laughs> well, not exactly <laughs> guess what i did my what did you do yours on yeah yeah i called my talk the farmer wants a wife right and i then changed it to the farmer wants a voice right and i did it on podcasting well there you are and inspired them to go and download some podcast or another at the end of the day right right and so i don't know whether they did but they seemed like they yeah. may she did show off a bit rich yeah i can i can, <laughs> I can well imagine yeah. but it was great to be in a group of people who were so optimistic there, were, there wasn't a moaning farmer in the room and that was great there was Good. well they soon got it out of them yeah yeah, yeah so so if there's one thing i mean we obviously can't talk about this for hours on end but there's one thing you got out of the two days what would it be, Heather? Really, for me, it was the fact that farming is having this moment of complete oppression. And really, there's these amazing people that haven't got a voice. Yeah. And that they're desperate to show people around their farms and, you know, let them see the animals in the fields and let them see the hedges which they loved. And at the moment, there's no channel. Yeah. Um, and these farm walks and talks was a way out for them. So it was an inspiration to realise that there's these farmers there that have got some amazing stories to say yeah so change, change that born one, from oppression true. yeah i think that the the biggest thing i learned was that as farmers how we present ourselves is critical to how we turn around our attitude to ourselves 
Right. So that if we read the Farmers Weekly, the first six pages are depressing negative headlines. Mm, he yeah. The positive ones right. come on page seven onwards. How we present ourselves will turn that round. We'll have the positive headlines first, and then anything negative will be afterwards. And Does that makes perfect sense. Right. And Good. from one big farmer to a little one, a budding farmer, bring it on, Monty! The Wiggly Wormcast podcast by Monty. A weekly fact on worms. Worms can grow a new tail, but not grow a new head if it is cut off. Richard. Hello. Sometimes I describe our podcast and our company as a mixture between the Haynes Motor Manual and the Darling Buds of May. Yeah, you do. I say, the Darling Buds of May evokes this image of our garden and our life yep. and Haynes Motor Manual tells you exactly how to achieve it on whatever scale. Yeah, yeah. Now, we have Marlarkin herself <laughs> coming in today. <laughs> we do. We do. Yeah. Um, Anne, who makes our bouquets. Welcome, Anne. Hello. And tell me about how you first got into flowers. Well, I was very young and my mother had a wonderful garden. We had gravel path and I used to pick up the stones and I used to put them on a plate, usually her best plate. <laughs> and I used to pick all the pretty little heads off the flowers and I used to make gardens on a plate. Aww. And I used to get a piece of glass and I used to a mirror and make it into a pond and get my little ducks and things from the toy farm and I used to put those on the pond and yeah I just always love flowers. You went to boarding school at, at Worcester. I did, you? yes. <laughs> Yesterday we, we went through Worcester and Anne said that you threw your boater. I threw my boater in the river, yes, <laughs> on the last day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and watched it sail away, which was wonderful. <laughs> so what happened after that then? Well, I met Elliot, my husband, at uh, Young Farmers, yeah. which is like the marriage bureau. <laughs> <laughs> Across a smoke-filled room, I saw this handsome man looking at me. And that was it. It just clicked. He then told me that he was going to New Zealand for six months. Right. So off he went for six months, and I... Waited faithfully for him. Oh, <laughs> sweet. Then we got married sort of six months later. Wow. Um, a whirlwind romance. It was wonderful, yes. Yeah. Through your married life, you've really been a major part of the farm rather than a flower ranger, haven't you? Oh, yes. Flowers have always come second. Well, down the list anyway. Yeah. Yes. Uh, I've always helped on the farm with the lambing, which is coming up soon, which is a very busy time, and carving. And then we have the harvest in the autumn. So I actually drive one of the combines, which is great fun. Do you? Uh, it's not a modern one. It has no cab. No cab. So we do get the sun and we do get the dust. Ah. So. Right. Have you got one of those um, things that goes over your head? To... Oh, yes, but you can't hear anything in those, so right. I don't wear them. Right. I just wear a mask. It's a great so. picture that that's brought up in my mind. Oh, thank you. Rolling <laughs> up and down the fields. But you've always kept up your flower arranging because I know you've done many competitions and church flowers. I have, yes. Uh, and then you went on a, a course, I think. I did. I went on a three-year course, which we went from the Egyptian times right up to the modern day, which was very, very interesting. It was a course I didn't want to end. Really? Yes, it was so interesting. And we also did garden design. They are a bit fantastic, your bouquets, though, aren't they? They are really smart. 
they're all the sort of flowers that we love. Yeah. Just like I've gone to my mother's or my grandmother's garden and just picked a bunch of real flowers. Yeah. Do you think you're, you're the reason why you're perhaps so good at putting these bouquets together and sourcing the right types of English flowers is because you were able to empathise with the, with the countryside and know what plants do what at certain times of the year before you went on the course? I mean, you, before you went on the course, do you think you would have had, you had that kind of instinct anyway? I think I probably did. Yeah. I had the instinct because I just love putting the right things together. Yeah. And just going for a walk in the fields and finding some interesting piece of wood or you know, certain flowers that are out yeah. or leaves or the beautiful colours and it's just lovely to put them all together. Yeah. And Elliot um, helps you now. In he some does. Ways. He's wonderful. He comes down to the cutting patch. Yeah. He'll come down and he'll help me pick the flowers, which is wonderful. I've never really seen him pick flowers before. <laughs> the only flowers he's ever given me are the ones he's actually driven over a daffodil going up the road with a tractor. <laughs> and he'll pick, get, jump off the tractor, pick it up and say, here you are, darling, I brought you something. <laughs> <laughs> and it's yeah, usually yeah, quite yeah. a mangled daffodil, but yeah. the thought's there. <laughs> yeah, that's right, yeah. <laughs> and he also finds things on the farm that... He does. ...that, that can be used in the bouquets. Yeah. He's found all the trees with ivy on. Really? The ivy needs to come off anyway because yeah. it's strangling the trees. Yeah. So he's been putting me up in the uh, Mapro bucket <laughs> and uh, hoisting me up. Health and safety, darling. Yeah. Safety. Hold on, he says. Hold on. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's don't stand too near safety. the edge. Yeah. Hold on. Just hold Tails on tight. The farm. And yeah. he hoists me all the way up to the top of the trees and I just cut the ivy off. Then put it in a bucket and then we use it for most of the bouquets at the moment because it has these beautiful berries. We pick buckets of flowers and bring them back home and condition them and use them on the Monday morning. When you say condition them, what do, how do you mean? What do you do with them? Well, it means some of them meet, need different treatments when you pick them. Right. And some need laying in water. Others need just dunking in water. Uh-huh. Some need water up to their necks and then obviously limit it after. So it's a lot so more, you know, it's more sort of intricate, isn't it? It's more complicated it than is. people imagine. That's right. It's not just a question of going and no, putting the beds. Not really. To, you know. <laughs> Sticking them all together. No. <laughs> so would you say you've got a favourite type of flower? I love the tulips. Yeah. Because you plant this little bulb and then you see the shoot come up and then this beautiful flower appears. Yeah. And it has a will of its own, which is so nice. You pick it and you put it in water, you condition it, and then you think it's going straight up. And then next time you look, it's gone wayward and it's sort of <laughs> gone whoosh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, does, it does certainly has a way of its own, but it's a beautiful, beautiful flower. Yeah. We've just planted... I think it's 3,000 tulip bulbs in the cutting patch. Right, right. Yeah, so we heard about that 3, from Jodie, didn't yeah, we? Yeah, yeah. So, so that'd, that'd be some real colour there. Yes, yeah, yeah. so it'd be fantastic. Nice, yeah. Good. Well, it's lovely to have had you in to hear all about Anne life, Ma Larkin for real. <laughs> and um, we'll see you tomorrow because you're bringing some bouquets in. I am, yes. Lovely. I'll get cracking. Thank you. Okay, then. Thanks, Anne. Okay, bye. The weekly podcast, Blooming iPods. If you are buying that loved one an iPod, We promise there'll be a weekly podcast on Boxing Day to inspire them in their garden and in their daily life. But just to end, we've got a little song for you all. Take it away, Monty. Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Oh, what fun it is to ride on one horse open sleigh. Hey! Well done. Well done. Well done. That's not right. The Goring family.